This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Most parents know that they should create a will or a trust in case they die unexpectedly. But they often avoid doing this critical task. For many, what stops them is not knowing whom to name as a guardian for their children. According to a lot of attorneys, this type of procrastination is totally normal and understandable. After all, it's really hard for parents to imagine anyone else doing a better job raising our kids than we could. And of course, no one wants to think about dying an untimely death. Still, most attorneys insist that naming a guardian is something that every parent must prioritize in order to protect our kids. My guest for this part of today's show, who's an estate planner who's worked with hundreds of families over the last 17 years, knows quite a few things about the topic of naming guardians and a lot of other stuff. She says, if a parent doesn't nominate a guardian and one is needed, someone else is going to make that choice, a judge. And that judge is going to be a complete stranger who doesn't know you, your values, your family, and your kids. Worse, that judge won't know that you don't like your brother's wife or that your mother-in-law lives in an all-white house. So grab yourself some paper and something to write with and get ready to learn everything there is to know about naming guardians, estate planning, wills, trusts, and a lot more. And it all starts right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. It kind of freaks me out that some people actually go through their trash to pull out recyclables. That's not for me. Maria Inez Phillips talks about not recycling. I've got too many newspapers and magazines and catalogs in there with plastic containers and bottles and cans. In your recycling bin? No, in my trash. Your trash can is full of recyclables? No, it's full of trash. You say trash, Maria. I say rubbish. Whatever it is, I'm not going through it. I don't even know what they do with recyclables. They make more of the things you use, Maria. More newspapers, more bottles and cans. Out of a bunch of trash? I just don't get it. Some things are very obvious, Maria. Recycling creates jobs and protects the environment. Is that important to you? It is, which is why I put my trash where it belongs. Learn the difference between trash and recycling and more on our website, yougottobekidding.org. I put out way too much trash to think about recycling. See why recycling is not rubbish. Visit yougottobekidding.org today. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Liza Hanks, who's the author of Every Californian's Guide to Estate Planning, Wills, Trusts, and Everything Else. Liza, thanks for joining us. I'm super happy to be on your show. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about the, the central premise of the thing is that, that parents don't do the, the responsible thing the way that we should as far as getting wills and trusts all ready to go uh, because we're going to get hung up on the whole issue of guardianship. Should that be well, the, the major concern or can, can we put that off and, and start gathering documents before well, you know, I think any parent of a young kid really, really, really needs to put a will in place because 
parents are the best people and really the only people who should be making that decision, right? Who should take care of their kids if they're not around to raise those kids till they're 18. And, you know, I started writing books about estate planning when my son was just, I don't know, a year old maybe, because I felt like so many parents get stuck right there and then they don't do anything at all. And, you know, they let the perfect be the enemy of the good enough and they shouldn't, right? It's a big, it's a beautiful thing to do for your kids. And in so many cases, you know, it never comes to pass, but we still want to think it through. Are there certain yeah. kinds of situations where it's not necessary? I mean, if you have divorced parents, for example, if you, and is the assumption going to be that the child would go to the other parent? Right. So, yeah, if you're divorced, the other parent isn't the guardian. The other parent is just the surviving parent. Um, but even divorced people really ought to have a will in place because – you know, who knows what could happen? And if their ex dies before they do, then the last person standing gets to pick the guardians for the kids. So that's that's one situation where, you know, it, it makes sense for both parents to put together a will. And if they're on amicable terms, you know, they can name the same guardians, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't think of any situation in which uh, a parent of a child under 18 shouldn't leave in writing somehow who they would like to have uh, raise those kids if they can't. And the thing that I write about in the book and the thing that I talk about with new parents, you know, all the time is that what, what's the consequence of not making that choice? It's not that the choice doesn't get made if it needs to get made. What happens is a judge makes that choice. And that judge doesn't know you, doesn't know your kids, doesn't know your brother-in-law, doesn't know that your mother has a house that's entirely carpeted with white carpet, right? All the things that you know, that's why we want you to make that choice. It's one of those grown-up decisions that doesn't go away if you don't make it. It's just you give control of that decision to somebody else. And, and I don't it, think any parent wants to do that. And it's dealing with kids only up to 18. So you don't have to take care. You don't have to worry about this if you've got kids older than that. So at least that particular so for, part of it. From the perspective of guardianship, that ends at 18 because children become legal adults at that point. There's a whole other part of estate planning for, for children, right? That goes much past 18, which is putting something in place to manage their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, because most people wouldn't think that an 18-year-old is, is uh, mature enough to handle an inheritance. No. So, no. no. So another part of planning, uh, aside from guardianship, is putting together at least a simple way to manage a child's money, at least until the age of 25. And I do write about that in the book, but mm-hmm. we don't have to talk about that today. No, we, we will talk about that. I definitely want to talk about that. I just, I just was trying to, to lay out some, some ground rules. Um, can you also talk, before we, we get into some more of the, the specifics and details, just generally speaking, the difference between a will and a trust and why one would be more applicable or better for for one situations and, and other situations that it's not as good for? Right. Well, here's how I describe it in the book. A will and a trust are really two different roads to the same destination, right? At the end of the day, either document either kind of an estate plan can put all the pieces in place that you need as a parent of young kids. They can put together management of money for children and custodial responsibility for those kids till they're 18. The difference is how you get to that place. So if you have a will and you have a property worth over a certain amount of money, and that differs from state to state in California, where I practice, that number is $150,000. So if you have a will and assets worth more than $150,000 and you die, then you have to go through probate before your estate plan is put into place. And so 
but a trust is a way of passing property to your heirs and beneficiaries without going through probate. But both documents can um, put together management of property for children until they grow up. And if you do a trust, you still always do a will because the will is the only document where you can nominate guardians for your kids. So it depends a little bit on where you live. So certain states have reformed their probate process, so it's um, relatively inexpensive and easy to get through. And in states like that, people don't do living trusts. In states like California, where I practice, California is not one of the states that, that has made probate either inexpensive or fast. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and so in, in California, um, many, many, many people use living trusts as their primary estate planning document. But like in Washington State, people use wills. So it depends where you live. Hmm. So it so there really isn't a slam dunk about one being better than the other, and it sounds like you have to have both in some cases anyway. Yeah, I mean, I mean the way I describe it to, to young parents in particular is you definitely need a will, no matter what. And then the question is, do you also want to do a living trust to make the transfer of your property more efficient and less expensive for your kids? Okay. So, so the will is the bottom line, and the trust is kind of the frosting on the cake. In, in at least where I practice, right? It's not true in every state. Right. Right. Okay. So as far as assets, I mean, assets it seems, seems like a, a word that should be easily enough defined, but I think you know, people think of, okay, a house and stuff that's in it. it, it what about things like IRAs and, and ac right. accounts like that? There are brokerage accounts that have beneficiaries already set up. Do those, have, do those go through probate or are they already exempted from that somehow because you've already appointed a beneficiary? Right. Well, so at the risk of being like self-promoting, that's one of the reasons I wrote this book, <laughs> because there's a lot of confusion about that, and not everybody can afford an expensive attorney. And so I want to get that information out to people, right? Because we all have these kinds of assets. So to answer your question directly, any retirement plan or life insurance policy that has a beneficiary designation associated with it, that passes directly to those beneficiaries outside of either a will or a trust. Because that's a contract between you and the company that's holding your money. And you tell them when you open the account, these are my beneficiaries, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So that's one, I call that like a train track. That's one way assets get to your beneficiaries or your heirs. But you have other assets that don't have beneficiaries associated with them, like your house, like your bank account, like the stuff in your house, like savings bonds, right? Like all, pretty much everything else doesn't have a beneficiary designation. And that's what passes by will or trust. Does that make sense? Okay. No, that makes, that makes good sense. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for those who are quickly calculating how, you know, the value yeah, of their house and or whether the value of their IRAs put them over the $150,000 right. well, number well, that you I, were saying. Right. I simplified that a little when I was um, answering that question at first because the, the better answer is it's 150 in California. In California, right. right Different right. state to state. But in all states have what's called a small estates affidavit or a small estates number associated with, and anything below that number doesn't go through probate. And in, and in all states, they're not going to count anything with a beneficiary designation because we know who gets that money, right? There's already a legal contract between, you know, Fidelity and you. That upon your death, certain people are going to get those dollars. But, but probate was invented, um, you know, in merry old England when the Lord died and everyone stole the castle. There was nobody looking out for the dead guy. And they thought, you know, maybe we should invent something that's a little bit more protective <laughs> of a dead person's wishes, right? So 
probate attaches only to things that don't have a built-in beneficiary. And the idea behind probate, probate's not bad. I mean, probate is a process where a judge uh, makes sure that a will is valid, that the right people have been notified, that the taxes have been paid. And, and at the end of that process, issues an order that says, you get this, you get that, you get that. So it serves a really good purpose of avoiding you know, fraud and theft after someone dies. But the reason people like trust, at least in states like mine, is that from the vast majority of families don't need public oversight. They know who gets the money, right? It's their kids. And nobody's fighting, so there's no benefit to going to court. It's just an additional delay and cost. Talking with Liza Hanks, who's the author of Every Californian's Guide to Estate Planning, Wills, Trusts, and Everything Else. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to keep talking to Liza about some some of the more specifics about the everything else in particular and a little bit more about wills and trusts, but also taxes and, and other unpleasant thoughts. My son Casey was a bright, fearless 20-year-old with a boundless future ahead of him. But in the blink of an eye, he was gone. While out riding a skateboard... Casey fell. He was not wearing a helmet. Our whole family wishes he was. It could have saved his life. I'm Captain Kevin Raffelli of the San Mateo Police Department. Parents, encourage your kids to strap on a helmet every time they jump on a bike, scooter, or skateboard. Think of my son Casey and use your head. Put a helmet on. It could save your life. A message from the Consumer Product Safety Commission. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. The challenger wears white trunks with a blue stripe, and the champ is wearing, uh, looks like an examination gown from the doctor's office. And from the back, we can... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the crazy getup? I've got to take care of my family. Yeah, so? Well, when you love your family, you got to go in and get those important medical screenings. A lot of potentially deadly diseases can be treated if you catch them in time. So you wear the examination gown because... Because I'm a real man. Real men take care of their families and get those tests. Real men wear gowns. Okay, champ. Good luck. Here we go. (laughs) The champ's not wasting any time. (laughs) It's over. This fight is over. Champ, you barely broke a sweat. Any words for your fans out there? Remember, go to ahrq.gov for a list of the tests they need to get and when to get them. What was that web address again? ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. I walk and you drive. So let's make a deal. I'll watch for you and cross the street safely. You watch for me and stop. Think of the impact we can make. A message from the Federal Highway Administration. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Liza Hanks, who's the author of Every Californian's Guide to Estate Planning, Wills, Trusts, and Everything Else. It's a no-low press book. And let's let's talk about taxes, because I think there, there's another thing, and you know, anybody who's followed the, the tax overhaul thing that just passed fairly recently, and I'm sure most people who did were completely confused by it, but a little piece of it anyway, or in certainly any kind of discussions that we have about wills and trusts, there's taxes involved and then the limits for, for estates that pass without taxes and what taxes are being or what, what are, what's being charged on, what's the base amount that's being charged on. So can you talk a little bit about that? And, and yeah. I, I understand that it's going to be a little different in California than everywhere else, but Not really. generally. I mean- Generally, you know, because these are federal taxes, so they apply, you know, across the country. 
And um, uncharacteristically for an attorney, I have like good news for the vast majority of the listeners to the show that they don't have to pay the estate tax because currently you have to have almost $11.2 million to be subject to the estate tax. And I'm, I can be, I'm quite sure that 99.999% of your listeners are not going to be subject to that tax because that's true across America. You know, at this point, the estate tax is levied only on the very wealthy. And around where I live in the Bay Area of California, people who have vastly appreciated homes, right? They may not feel wealthy, but we are getting into nosebleed territory with the estate tax. It used to be something like a million dollars back in 2001. So over the last 16 years, 17 years, the whole time I've been an estate planner, all we see is fewer and fewer and fewer people having to pay that tax. And that's bad news for the Treasury, great news for the taxpayer. Um, but, but the thing that's important for people to know is the same 99.9% of your listeners who don't have to pay the estate tax, they still have to do an estate plan because, you know, unless the federal government can make us all immortal, you know, it's still really relevant to the rest of us because most of the estate plan has nothing to do with the estate tax. It has everything to do with naming guardians for kids, giving your property to the people and organizations that you care about putting a plan in place to manage money for children until they're of a certain age. And if you're in a blended family, taking care of your spouse and your kids from your first marriage, and none of that has to do with the estate tax. I hope that answers your question. It, it does. Yeah. So, and let, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the blended family situation, since that is such a common thing in, in so many right? different households. Do individuals do wills or do you do a joint will? So individuals do wills, and it depends on what kind of state you live in as to whether you do a joint trust or individual trust. So in California and several of the western states that are community property states, uh, at least for sure in California, I'm not licensed to practice in any other state, but generally in in community property states, people will do a joint trust to hold their community property. But in other states, like on the east coast mostly, that are separate property states, a husband will do a trust and a wife will do a trust or, you know, one partner will do their own trust and the other partner will do their own trust. Mm-hmm. Um, but in either architecture, if you're in a blended family, and by that I mean you came to the marriage with children generally from a, a former relationship or marriage, so you're blending two families. Right. Um, and maybe you have mutual kids in the current marriage. That happens too, right? So you have older kids from previous relationships and then littler kids from a current relationship. Um in any of those situations, you know, an estate plan has to balance usually uh, the need of, of a partner to take care of their spouse or partner at the first death, uh, and then how to take care of their children from previous marriages. And there isn't one size fit all answer. I mean, it's different for different families, um, but it's certainly a rich territory to explore. And it's definitely one you want to plan for because there can be conflict, you know, after the death of a parent between stepkids and a second husband or wife. And, you know, we try to, we try to work our way through it by, by good planning, you know, by being clear about what the priorities are and who gets taken care of first. And, um, but it's, it's a difficult thing, but a fruitful thing, right? Again, it's a little bit like guardianship. It's not like it goes away if you don't talk about it. Right. Right. It's just, it's got to be important to lay all those things out, but they're very unpleasant to have the conversations in the first place and to think about it. And yeah, you know, it's not always unpleasant. I think I don't, I don't find it unpleasant. I don't think a lot of my 
clients or readers will find it unpleasant to have a, an honest conversation about what their goals are and values are and priorities are as they die first. I think it's a good, it can often be a really positive conversation. And I see plenty of blended families that really come together after there's been a death and take care of each other. You know, it doesn't always dissolve into soap opera conflict, although, you know, it can, but that's not actually been my experience as a planner over the last 18 years. It's like generally people work together pretty well, especially if they've had the conversations beforehand. Right. Yeah. Where I, where, where I find conflict is when people are unpleasantly surprised, you know, when a parent dies, that's where the problems come up. Yeah. So how do you, you begin to have that conversation or facilitate that conversation? Cause I, I think it, it, it's still, I mean, you, you're, you're saying that you're not having a lot of problems with it, which is a great thing, but you know, having been in, a, in blended families before, uh, I, I could see that there, there's, there's just sticky issues about, you know, what do we do right. about the, my kids from before? I mean, how much of my assets go there as opposed to our joint kids or your kids or does, right. does my IRA money that I've had in the bank for, for 30 years before I met you, uh, you know, does that go anywhere? Of course, we already talked about how that would, would have separate beneficiaries, but still there could be the house, you know, that I, that I bought before, before I met you kind of thing. Um, right. So, so when you were asking me how to have the conversation, I think you were asking me as if I were in that family, not as the estate planning attorney, right? Like how I would recommend your readers talk, your listeners talk to each other? Uh, yeah. Well, I was asking you as somebody who probably facilitates those conversations for clients. How do you yeah, get I do the, all the time. Yeah, how do you get them to get, you know, give, give them the the right building blocks for the conversation? Well, you know, I would encourage people to um to think about what 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 do they want to have happen when the first of them dies. You know, start with that. And that conversation can be, you know, it might be that one partner says, "You know, I want to make sure that my adult kids from my first marriage benefit at my death." Um, and my spouse, you know, I don't want them to have to, you know, if your spouse is 20 years younger than you are, he or she may not be that much older than your adult kids from your first marriage, right? So I try to get people to think about what, what happens when you die first, you know, do you want all the money to go in trust for the benefit of your spouse? Do you want to make gifts right then to your grown up kids? Do you want to take out a separate life insurance policy to benefit those kids so that you know for sure when you die, they will get something? And then we just take it from there, you know, and it's a question of, and sometimes, you know, it can get uncomfortable, but often that will be a family that didn't do a prenup or a postnup agreement when they first came together in that second marriage. So maybe they've never talked about money, right? Yeah. Maybe they've never had that conversation. So um, that's a really rich territory. And sometimes people have to take a break from their estate planning and kind of work out who owns what first and, and document their understanding about what's community property and what's separate. Now, again, I practice in a community property state. In other states, if your name is on the account, it's your property. It's not that complicated, right? So it does vary state to state, but I don't think it varies relationship to relationship. I think in any relationship that's, a, that's at all complicated, uh, the couple needs to have an understanding between themselves uh, about the character of the property and how they share it first, right? Yeah. Now, is this stuff that we've been talking about, the wills and the trusts and, and the rest of it, is this something that people can do on their own? Because I think that's another, just aside from the, the complication factor or the I don't want to deal with it factor, there's the, 
oh my God, it's going to be expensive. I'm going to have to hire a team of lawyers and uh, I'll, I'll put it off and pretend it'll go away. Right. So good luck with that. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess uh, for an estate planner, I'm a little bit unusual because I've written, <clears throat> you know, three books for NOLO and I'm a big believer in people doing things themselves uh, if they want to and they can't. So there are good resources out there for people for sure who want to educate themselves. And I hope that my books um, can facilitate that. Um, if you want to put together a simple will, uh, along with powers of attorney, advanced directives, which we actually haven't talked about yet, but in the everything else bucket, I would put documents where you appoint agents to act for you if you're incapacitated is an important part of a plan. Because even if you're a parent of a young kid, you could fall off a ladder, you can get hit by a car, you can get hurt or get sick. And so we all need to think about that part too. Liza Hanks is the author of Every California's Guide to Estate Planning, Wills, Trusts, and Everything Else. Thank you. Great. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Take care. Did you know when you donate a kidney, you give the gift of life? I had no idea you could donate an organ while you were still alive. If I'm born with two healthy kidneys but only need one, and I could really improve somebody else's life, why not? When I think of giving up something I don't need in exchange for a life, it's no contest. If I had another one, I'd do it again. Visit the National Kidney Foundation at kidney.org. Now you know. I'm inspired to serve my community based on the fact that I get so much back from it. Ken Wyman, USO volunteer. This is a great country, and if people were to go ahead and step up to the plate by volunteering or doing something for their fellow man, this country will be greater than it ever was. Lead, inspire, change the world again. Join thousands and find which volunteer opportunity is best for you. Call 1-800-424-8867 today or visit www.getinvolved.gov. This message is brought to you by the Corporation for National and Community Service on this station. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, I remember being a child and constantly being amazed, but it seems like life is moving much more quickly these days, and my own kids never get the luxury of just staring at the stars. Is there some way that today's overscheduled families can slow down and rekindle that sense of wonder? Well, childhood is filled with all sorts of developmental windows. It's when we learn how to speak and read, and we learn values, discover talents and passions, and much more. But those windows don't stay open forever. Childhood is also a time when our attitudes and beliefs about the world around us are formed. How you spend your first few years goes a long way toward determining whether you're a nose-to-the-grindstone type of person or a head-in-the-clouds one. Developing that sense of wonder you remember so fondly requires three things, time, opportunity, and practice. Here are some ways to jumpstart that process. Schedule is good, but overscheduled is not. If you want your kids to experience wonder during their childhood, they must have unstructured time. Ironically, sometimes the only way to ensure that they get enough of that is to, well, schedule it. Power down. Time in front of a TV, phone, or other screen is time spent seeing the world through someone else's eyes. Help your kids find hobbies and interests that will engage their own creativity and reflection. Choose wonder-inducing family activities. Not every outing has to be an opportunity to ponder the meaning of life, but be sure to work in the occasional trip to the zoo, the aquarium, the science museum, the planetarium, or even a simple walk in the woods. Places like those encourage kids to see the world in different ways. Fewer toys equals more imagination. 
Gadgets and toys, which include playground equipment, are great, but they're also very limiting. A toy car is just a toy car, but with a little bit of imagination, the box that car came in could be an airplane, a whale, a rocket ship, or anything else. Point out the wonder in the everyday. You don't have to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon or stare at a nebula through a telescope to experience wonder. Everyday things get more wonderfully strange the more you look and learn. Watch a hummingbird at a feeder. Stay up late for a meteor shower. Raise a Venus flytrap. And think about these. If you take the history of the universe from the Big Bang to today and shrink it down to a single year, humans would appear on December 31st at about 10.30 p.m. Every atom in your body has been around since the beginning of time and has passed through several stars, not to mention countless people, plants, and animals, before becoming part of you. Our planet is zipping along at about 900 miles an hour right beneath our feet. Through the wonder of DNA, you are literally half your mom and half your dad, and a complete blueprint to build you exists in each and every cell of your body. All life on Earth is related. You're a cousin, although a pretty distant one, of the sequoia, the amoeba, blue whales, and butterflies. Once kids get a taste of the wonder that's all around them, you won't have to prompt them a bit. They'll lead the way, but it's up to you to get the ball rolling by giving them those three things that they need, time, opportunity, and practice. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.